0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Now it's time for us to venture inside Hong Kong with Claire Huang, The Straits Times correspondent there. Now, Hong Kong's pro-establishment camp swept all but one seat in the first Legislative Council election after Beijing's patriots-only overhaul of the political system amid a record low turnout of 30.2%.
1: Yeah, While those traditional Beijing-friendly parties have made big gains in that uh, race on Sunday, the election also produced new and rising forces with mainland Chinese links.
0: Mm, Now, Beijing has defended the new electoral model, a gesture which the city's leaders hailed as providing a strong rebuttal ahead of attacks by foreign powers over Sunday's poll. To give us the latest, we're joined now by Claire Huang, Straits Times correspondent. Claire, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good to have you back with us, Claire. It's only been two weeks, but it feels like it's been longer. Lots to catch up on. Yes, that's right. A lot has happened in a couple of days this week, uh, over the weekend too. So let's digest that, clear because, OK, pro-Beijing candidates have claimed that a victory in Hong Kong's Legislative Council, that was the election that we saw on Sunday, and the election has been condemned by the likes of the G7, the EU, Five Eyes. But were you surprised by the outcome as someone who's been covering this for quite some time? No, not at all. I don't think there were any surprises.
2: Um, perhaps there was just one thing, uh, and it would be the fact that, you know, uh, you can see the rise of independents uh, uh, taking up seats in the LegCo, or the Legislative Council, as they call it. Um, so they're playing a bigger role in the LegCo because they took up more than 40% of the seats. So, you know, there was a commentator who said that it's a threat for development of traditional parties. But uh, look, Rachel, um, I think the criticisms from the West were always expected because um, the electoral system overhaul in Hong Kong mid-year was already um, drawing a lot of flack for wiping out opposition voices. Mm -hmm. In this election, you know, if you look at the number of candidates, we've had 153 candidates, and about a dozen or so of them are so-called, or they claim and say they are, centrist, moderates, and things like that. So you know, uh, the pan-democratic parties, uh, the key ones, did not participate. And yeah, and because, you know, um, even, you know, the candidates who identify themselves as uh, not pro-establishment, you, that's debatable. Because you've had people who call themselves centrists, and they might have started out in the pandemic camp, but over the years they've leaned towards the pro-Beijing side. So this election, the pro-establishment folks made a clean sweep of the 90 seats. Only one person, um, you know, who is supposedly a moderate, Mr. Chi Yuan, who won the social worker seat in the functioning constituency and has said that it's better to have one of him than none mm. at all. So only time will tell if he will do much. But chances are quite slim.
1: I think uh, you're absolutely right there, um, Claire. but this is the city's of course first legco elections following that uh, beijing patriots only overhaul as you mentioned uh, and that has obviously resulted in this a record low turnout what are the key takeaways for you and what can we learn from this because uh, there's that correlation isn't there between that low turnout and these new that's this overhaul
2: Yes, so about 1.35 million or 4.5 million registered voters turned up to vote on Sunday. And that's a voting rate of 30%. Now, this is a record low, both before and after the 1997 handover. During British rule in 1996, the voting rate was 35.8. That was the lowest. Free, you know, during Hong Kong's uh, uh, colony era. And then after the handover, the lowest was about 45%. So um, not only that, okay, uh, but there were many invalid or blank votes, a uh, record high according to calculations by local media. So all these, when you look at them um, in totality, points to weak support for the new LegCo and that majority of people chose not to vote because they felt indifferent. And it was also a signal to the Hong Kong government and Beijing that they don't approve of the new LegCo. It also shows underlying tension in society remains. Um, but observers believe that government policies will now be passed um, smoothly without the opposition's filibustering and blocking of bills. So they expect the pro-establishment camp is saying that, you know, this is good because, you know, now Hong Kong can move on and advance. And they said that, you know, uh, electoral system overhaul has made it possible for more um, representation in parliament. Uh, And some have questioned you know, though, how having more mainland academics and enterprise representatives, obscure bodies in Legco, would reflect the concerns of the wider society. In fact, some observers believe this Legco mirrors that of the National People's Congress and is likely to function, you know, in similar ways. Um, but Chief Executive Carrie Lam has said that Hong Kong, with a functioning Legco, is now back on the right track to improve the livelihoods of people and solve deep-seated issues.
0: This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. We're speaking with Claire Huang, Straits Times correspondent in Hong Kong. Claire, let's just rewind a minute because within hours of the LegCo election closing, Beijing issued a white paper covering Hong Kong's political reforms. What do we know about that?
2: There are a few key points uh, that were made in the paper that was issued by the China State Council Information Office, key of which is that under British rule, before 1997 handover to Mm -hmm. the Chinese, back to the Chinese, Hong Kong had no democracy as a colony um, because it could not choose its leader. It was appointed. Uh, But when China took back the territory, it paved the way for democracy with the one country, two systems principle.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And
2: Chinese experts, see this white paper and others issued previously as China setting out their interpretation of democracy, which, and they also made it quite um, clear that, you know, uh, the definition of democracy by the West should not be imposed on Hong Kong. And, you know, democracy itself should not be unilaterally defined by the West. And uh, as Mrs. Lam said earlier this week, democracy is not one-size-fits-all, and that the West should not impose its version on Hong Kong because democracy should fit the realities of the city.
1: Mm, so, <laughs> we've had some interesting developments in that sense uh, with this uh, white paper. Um, now, of course, a new security law. After electing a loyalist council, they're eyeing this. I mean, what's next? How much? How much more stringent would this new loyalist, this new security law be?
2: Well, um, this uh, new security law is under it's called Article 23 because under Article 23 of the Basic Law, um, the city is required uh, to pass its own security law that would be more detailed and expensive than uh, that initiated by Beijing. So, for instance, Article 23 bans foreign political organizations or bodies from conducting political activities. It becomes more specific, basically, Mm. in the language, uh, in terms of treason, sedition, theft of state secrets. So it's more detailed in that sense, which is why some people have said that Article 23, um, when passed, is actually more, uh, it's harsher than what we already have here. So, um, Mrs. Lam mentioned after the election results were out that the new legislature should present new proposals on this uh, Article 23 by June on how to enact uh, this uh, security legislation.
0: Now, Claire, very quickly, before we let you go, as we come to the end of the year, the festive season, can you give us an update on the COVID-19 situation there? We
2: are awaiting news on when the borders with the mainland will reopen. There's something that might be tricky as the number of Omicron cases in uh, Hong mm-hmm. Kong and in the mainland rises. So um, Hong Kong on its part has moved uh, in uh, the last couple of days, actually the past week, to tighten various loopholes. For instance, unvaccinated government employees will soon have to do more regular testing uh, like three days every uh, every three days instead of every week and then authorities here have also bumped up countries like uh, the us the uk that are facing you know a surge in cases to, into the high risk category with enhanced surveillance so residents coming from these places high risk areas with enhanced surveillance um, will have to do four days in Penny's bay quarantine facility and then transfer to quarantine hotels thereafter
0: Okay. So the government
2: also announced that fireworks for Chinese New Year next year will be cancelled. That's the third year this has been shelved. That did not please people.
0: I'm sure, but with fireworks CNY coming up in February, any any thoughts that that might be eased ahead or? I think it's going to be a bit hard because mm-hmm. you know uh, the authorities here are just gearing up. Uh, for
2: reopening with the mainland, which is a priority, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I don't think every step that they have made in the past two weeks have been towards this end. I do not think they will risk having uh, any uh, outbreaks or any
0: chances of having any outbreaks. Okay, Claire. Well, thank you for those updates. Claire Huang, Hong Kong correspondent for The Straits Times. Stay safe, stay healthy and happy festive season, Claire. You too. Merry Christmas, guys.